We'll multiply Lake Norman. How we doing today? How's everybody feeling? Feeling good? Hey, we got a little something going, a little something going on today, something we need to celebrate. But we are celebrating our six-year anniversary. Something to make some noise about. I just, I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to do that. Hey, listen, uh, man, as a church, we've been blessed for the past uh, six years. Uh, blessed to call this place home. Blessed that we can link arms with one another. And I'm excited today because Pastor Judah, Pastor Jonah, and Pastor Manny are going to be diving into Romans chapter 14. And as we break down Romans chapter 14, we see Paul to start to address these major components of, of following Jesus. But if you've ever read Romans chapter 14, it's kind of confusing. And then you start to dive into the scripture. Now, regardless of how long we've been around and regardless of how many birthdays we're going to celebrate, what we know is this. We're going to always keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is always Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Regardless of what we obtain in this world, regardless of what we go through, regardless of the things that we accomplish in this life, everything always belongs to God. And we've also learned that we walk walking through the book of Romans that, that we're not exempt from the hardship of life. We're not exempt from sin. We're not exempt from things that we're ultimately going to face. But 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. By the way, I don't like boasting about my weaknesses. Anybody else in the room, do you like boasting about your weaknesses? Mike, you like it? No, you don't like it. I don't like boasting about my weaknesses, but even as Pastor Judah said while we were in worship, Christ has given us hope that we can overcome the weaknesses that we face. Again, every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Every celebration that we'll ever have comes from the Lord. Even in our weakness, Christ's power may rest on us. Now, as a church, that power has allowed us to see families restored. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen people get saved. We've seen people baptized. We're going to see people baptized today. We've seen healing. And, and we'll continue to see all of these things as long as the Lord tarries. But there's two acronyms that we use during our men's retreat that I've seen go back and forth in text messages. I, I've, I've heard people kind of share them even at church or, or in their day-to-day -day work. But the two acronyms that stuck out to us during our men's retreat were this. The first one was IGYB. I got your back. IGYB. We know that life is going to happen. We know that we're going to go through hardships. The question is, and Chris Hazlett says it so well, who are you going to call when things get hard? I see some of the guys that went on the men's retreat, kind of you're nodding your head back and forth. You know life is going to happen. Who are you going to call when life gets hard? And another acronym that we kind of kicked out at the men's retreat were these POP moments, P-O-P, -P, the power of partnership. Where's Darius? Darius in here? Darius back here. Darius, do you want to get in a chair again? You want to do it? Am I serious? Guys, should we get Darius in a chair again? We should do it. Come on, Darius. Come on up. Darius, you might be a little nervous. I was not planning on doing this, Darius. 
Um, what chair should, can we use one of those chairs? Can, Judah, can I use your chair? It's a, it's a wobbly chair? No, but Judah, that makes it even better. But Judah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip the script a little bit. I'm going to get you to sit in the chair. So you go ahead and sit in the chair. Darius, I know I need you still, Darius. But Darius, listen, I'm going to be nice to you this time. Because Darius, last time we put you in the chair. And we talked about the power of partnership. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to pick Judah up by yourself. So go ahead. Go ahead and pick. In, in the chair. Can you, can you pick up? Can you do it? I'm, I'm, I think he can. Darius is strong. Oh, one, two, three. Oh! No, no, you got to stay up here. You got to stay up here. Because everybody got really excited when Judah got like this far off the ground. Right? Like you pick him up just a little bit. And we go through life sometimes where it's like, I just need, I need a, a little boost, but I don't, I don't want a little boost. Like I want a, I want a big boost. Right? So I need, I need, where's three of the strongest guys in here? I need you to make your way forward. Three of the strong. Anna. Anna called out Zach. So Zach, you got to come up here. I know you love being out. Jay, go ahead and get up here. Your family. Cooper's coming up. I got a feeling they're stronger than both of y'all, but I'm just... But it's the power of partnership. Now, partnership can get scary sometimes. And I know we say, I got your back. So uh, this time, Judah, I'm going to have your front just in case you fall off the chair. All right. But this is what I want y'all to do. I want y'all to gather around Judah. And I want y'all to basically shoulder press him and get him above your head. And the hope is that the chair doesn't break. Oh, my Hey, can you give us a little flow of your hair up there? Can you give us? All right, yeah. Can y'all get him up any higher? I'm just curious. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Y'all go ahead and put him. Y'all go ahead. Y'all go ahead and put him down. Y'all give it up for Pastor Judah and everybody else that helped out. Thanks. Hey, wasn't it scary because like, yeah, it's like, yeah, they're up. But then you've got like a two foot drop off right here. And you, but it's the power of partnership. So this, thing, this idea, IGYB, I got your back, and, and the power of partnership, there's a lot of truth in those acronyms, but I said this a couple weeks ago, I got really good in my life at giving people advice, at giving them a book, at giving them a song to listen to, at giving them a quote, at giving them an acronym, but not always pointing them to scripture. If we're not careful, we can throw out these acronyms, we can throw out these good phrases, but where do, they back, where do we back it up with Scripture? So let's be clear that today our main focus is not about celebrating six years. Our main focus today and every day is about connecting with Jesus on a deeper level. So today, let's see how we're going to do that through Romans chapter 14. Pastor Judah. How y'all doing this morning? Good. That was exciting. It was a good little illustration there. Never been a part of a, one so personal. <laughs> We're going to be looking at Romans 14 uh, today for just a few minutes. But first, how many enjoyed Dr. Frank Turk last week? Didn't he do a great job? I love people like Frank who can take a, a high-level 
concept and explain it in a way that all of us can kind of understand. And some of these topics in the Bible can get a little bit tricky. And Romans 14 is one that, you know, if we didn't study it a little bit, we might just read through and be like, okay, what what does this have to do with me? Right. But as Dr. Frank said last week, you never want to just take one chapter or verse of the Bible because context is key. Right. When Paul was writing the, the, uh, the book of Romans, he didn't say, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Greetings, everyone. Like, that's not, how, that's not how we write an email. How many of you have ever put a verse in your email, right? Like, verse number 1, hello, how are you doing? Verse number 2, this email is about, right? So, in Romans chapter 14, if we're really going to understand it properly, we actually need to start with Romans 13. The end of Romans 13 sets up Romans 14. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 13. We're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to read all the way through 14. They gave me about 10 minutes to do this, and we're going to read half the Bible in 10 minutes. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Pause. Why can you sum up all of the commandments in that one rule? Because if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you won't murder. You won't steal. You won't covet. You won't commit adultery. It's not that we can do all of those things now and we just have to make sure we love our neighbor. It's that to truly love your neighbor means keeping the commandments. Okay? Going on. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Wow. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not talk about how to gratify the de- sinful uh, the desires of the sinful nature. Every time I get to preach up here, Pastor Zach gives me the like tough passages, right? The passages people want to skim through. One of these days I'll get to stand up here and preach something that I choose and y'all leave feeling so encouraged. But today you're going to get convicted. All right. So the things that Paul is talking about here are essential elements of Christian doctrine right? Doctrine just means what we believe. They are indisputable matters. For example, there is very little debate in terms of do not steal, right? Or behave decently, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. These are manners that the Christian has to adhere to, right? We need to follow these essential doctrines. They're indisputable matters. Now, why is it important that we start there? Because in 14, Paul starts talking about things that are disputable, right? They're up for debate. They're non-essential matters. He writes in Romans 14, 1 through 4, "...accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters." One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. I will refuse uh, making a vegan or vegetarian joke here. 
as someone who really loves a medium rare steak, I'm just going to move right on. The man who eats everything must not look down on those who do not. I've been guilty of that a time or two. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, let me remind you real quick of Paul's audience in Rome, right? So Paul is talking to two groups of people, which by then you should all probably be able to explain to each and every person that you meet, that there are two audiences in the book of Romans. The first is Jewish believers who have adhered to the laws of Moses for their entire lives. And the second is Gentile believers who never had any type of restriction. So Paul's, what's the law of Moses? Well, we talked a little bit about it in the book of Romans because continuously Paul goes back and forth between addressing his Jewish readers and his Gentile readers. The law of Moses went into, ex- in, uh, what adjective do I want to use here? Extreme, let's use extreme. Extreme detail on how the Jew was supposed to live their life, including dietary restrictions, moral law, ceremonial law. And these restrictions come directly from the law of Moses. If you want to know more about the law of Moses, you can read Exodus 20 all the way through Deuteronomy 33. I love that those books are in, those uh, chapters are in the Bible because it gives us an appreciation that we don't necessarily have to live that way anymore because that's part of the old covenant. Here's an example of that. Deuteronomy 14, 3 through 8. Do not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer. I'm glad that's in there. I ate a lot of deer. The gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof divided into and that chews the cud. However, of those that chew the cud or that have a split hoof completely divided, you may not eat the camel, the rabbit, or the coney. Although they chew the cud, they do not have a split hoof. They are ceremonially unclean for you. The pig is also unclean. Although it has a split hoof, it does not chew the cud. You are not to eat their meat or touch their carcasses. Now, those are the laws that governed the lives of the Jews, right? It was a serious offense if they broke even one of the 613 laws. When Jesus came, he fulfilled the law, which voided the necessity of the Mosaic covenant. So we are now under what's called the new covenant as paid for by the blood of Jesus. If you order bacon on your cookout tray, say amen. That's not to say that as Christians, we have no moral obligations or expectations. It's very clear through the entirety of Romans and the New Testament and the Bible And every Bible-believing church you've ever gone to, that there are expectations for the Christians. But for the church in Rome, a very prevalent question remained for those who were Jews, who memorized all 613 laws and had been living according to them for their entire life from fear of punishment. Now that they have the freedom of Christ, what do they do? right? How are they supposed to live? Essentially, what Paul says in chapter 14 is, we all know we're not under the law of Moses. However, if in your heart, you believe you should continue to follow Jewish dietary and ceremonial laws, go ahead and do that. But 
Don't enforce these non-essential matters on your fellow believers. The key concern of Paul is not whether or not Jewish believers continue to follow the now unnecessary law of Moses. His concern is making sure that those who choose to adhere to these non-essential matters do not force their convictions on others where non-essential things are concerned. This is emphasized in Romans 14. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let's stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Pause. This is why context is key. Because if you're just jumping and preaching from various parts of the text, you could take this verse and it's a free-for-all now. Right? Don't pass judgment on your brother. Make up your mind. Don't put a stumbling block on his way. If you think it's good to live this way, don't, don't push that on him. Right? That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is talking about disputable matters. Non-disputable matters are important for us to both adhere to and keep our brothers and sisters in line who claim to also be believers. We are called to uphold the standard of Christ Jesus. And in order to do that, we have to live it and help others who claim to be Christians live it as well. But specifically in the context of Romans 14, where we get into these non-disputable matters, the main issues that Paul is addressing here are eating meat and keeping a certain day as the Sabbath. Now, both of these are very sensitive issues to the Jewish people, but they would have very little impact on the Gentile believers and probably on us today, right? We're not having giant debates in church where you leave convicted about whether or not you should be able to go and eat the cheeseburger that you're going to eat at the end of service, right? Like that's not something we're all fighting about in here. But let me put it in a, a bit of a contemporary uh, context for us, okay? We're going to take the topic of drinking alcohol, all right? So the church since the late 1900s, the Christian church, has kind of been in this debate whether or not drinking alcohol is something that a Christian should do. Some have actually said that all alcohol in and of itself, regardless, is a sin for the Christian to drink, right? Okay, to be clear though, let's pause so that y'all come back to church next week. There's not a single verse in the Bible that prohibits the consumption of alcohol in and of itself. Jesus drank wine. Some believers claim that wine in the Bible wasn't alcoholic. And I kind of laugh because why would it say, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to reckless indiscretion? <laughs> like, I've drunk a lot of Welch's grape juice in my time. And I could drink the whole store, and I'm not going to go on a reckless indiscretion run, right? Okay, so before you go out and buy a fifth and drink the whole thing, let's be clear about something. The Bible does prohibit drunkenness, all right? Some of y'all just got a little convicted there. That's okay. From this, we can establish two things that help us kind of bring Romans 14 to our context in this example. The essential or indisputable matter based on the biblical text is that getting drunk has no place in the life of, Christ, of a Christian and is to be avoided. The non-essential or disputable matter is whether or not to partake of alcohol at all, okay? So we've established there's an indisputable 
and a disputable matter here. Now, let's take it a little bit further. Myself, I don't drink. I don't, obviously, saying this up in front of you, I don't think that drinking alcohol in every context is a sin. It's just a personal conviction of me. Now, I have freedom in Christ to drink if I chose to. Why don't I? Because I'm a pastor. And this is a big group of people, and I know there's probably some in here who have struggled with alcoholism before. So if, if you run into me at a restaurant and you see me drinking a glass of wine, in the freedom Christ has given me to do so, but that causes you to stumble or inspires you to then go out and maybe lose self-control, that's a little bit on me because I led you astray. The problem would be if I told all of you up here today that drinking alcohol is a sin because I have a conviction not to do it. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans 14. Regarding the essential matters, we've got to be unified and keep each other accountable. But where non-essential matters are concerned, it's a matter of personal conviction and we're not to weigh others down in those areas by insisting that they adhere to our own non-essential convictions. Now, if you have a conviction, I would encourage you to keep that conviction. But if it's a conviction that is outside of the commands of Scripture, you don't have to force it on other people, nor should you. So as Christians, we understand that there are indisputable matters for how we are to live. There are indisputable matters that you, as a Christian, need to follow. And these are kind of called Orthodox Christian doctrine. Now, orthodoxy here isn't referring to like a denomination or like you've heard like the Orthodox Church. No, Orthodox in this context is referring to just right belief in terms of, okay, what has the Christian church kind of established since its infancy as doctrine? Have you heard of creeds? Okay, so the Apostles' Creed is a very famous creed, and it's just a creed that was invented to keep churches from straying into heresy, right? And so this is kind of what we believe uh, a portion of the indisputable material to be. Let's read it together. I believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Real quick. In this context, Catholic isn't referring to like a denomination. It's referring to the universal church. Catholic kind of means like universal one. Now, if you grew up Catholic and I said what the meaning of Catholic is incorrectly, please come and talk to me after the service. But in this context, we're not talking about, okay, we're all Roman Catholic now. Um, at Multiply, we've kind of put in a few pillars that we believe to be indisputable truths, and they're based on the biblical text. They're based on the creedal doctrine of the church that we've established as right belief in God. You've probably heard us say that together we pursue life, family, freedom, and purpose. So these are tied to four things that we consider to be indisputable truths. And we hold to them as a community of believers. They are Jesus saves, 
Jesus heals, Jesus fills, and Jesus calls. So on our sixth anniversary today as a church, I can think of a, a no better time to kind of go into what that means for us as believers. And Pastor Jonah and Pastor Manny are going to help me out with that today. Pastor Jonah. Yeah, give it up for Pastor Judah. All right. All right, so as we have heard in Romans 14, Paul is discussing the importance of not mistaking the minor disputable matters for the major indisputable matters. So we asked ourselves, what are a few indisputable facts of the gospel that we as multipliers and we as Christians hold on to? The first indisputable fact, as Judah already said, is Jesus saves. So throughout scripture, we can read about salvation from physical troubles. There are many examples, such as the physical salvation from slavery in Exodus and the physical salvation from captivity in Babylon. Isaiah 61 speaks of physical salvation by saying, He, speaking of the Lord, has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. But salvation is mostly thought of in the traditional religious sense as spiritual salvation. So let's break it down. What is spiritual salvation? Spiritual salvation is the result of the initial act of accepting Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So spiritual salvation is a moment, an event. So what happens after spiritual salvation? Of course, we all know the Great Commission commands us to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But in order for us to continually walk uprightly with the Lord, to fulfill the Lord's calling and purpose on our lives, we must walk in sanctification. So, as we have discussed in our talks on the previous chapters of the book of Romans, sanctification is being separated from sin and set apart to serve God. Little shout out to Brian King there from JBQ. Let's go. So what does that mean? What does sanctification separated from sin to set apart to serve God mean? So, simply put, it means stop sinning right? That is what sanctification means. So I get it. We all have struggles. We all have struggles that push us towards committing acts of sin. And we all have sinned by giving into those struggles. Romans 3 confirms this by saying, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. However, this does not give justification for sin. When you sin, you must repent in order to get back to living a life of sanctification. Now, I don't want you to get confused about this because it's super important and I know it's often misunderstood, but repentance is not asking for forgiveness. Repentance is turning away from sin. Let me say that again because it's super important. Repentance is not asking for forgiveness. Repentance is turning away from sin. The second indisputable fact of the gospel 
Next to Jesus saves is Jesus heals. The miraculous healing power of Jesus is abundantly evident throughout Scripture. Over the course of Jesus' physical time on earth, he healed the blind, the sick, the mute, the possessed. Matthew 4 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. God desires the best for us. However, sometimes we must walk through situations that are uncomfortable for us. Because in those times of discomfort, when we have to fully lean and rely on the Lord's promises, our faith is strengthened in a way which allows us to be ready for the blessings the Lord desires to give us. Pastor Manning. Speaking of the discomfort that Pastor Jonah just talked about, how many of us, maybe in the last handful of weeks, have even experienced extreme hunger? Where you were just, Tommy Rose, maybe you're thinking like, that's me right now. I'm ready for the ice cream trucks after service. Or maybe you were driving along the road one day and you realized that your tank was on empty and you, were, you knew that you had about 10 miles to go and the nearest gas station was right around 10 miles. Any of us had that scare before? Is that pretty relatable? See, I'm sure that these two scenarios are relatable to most of us, if not all of us. But we have to understand that when we're starving and we have a meal, we're satisfied or if we, if we actually make it to the gas station before we run out of gas, we actually have a sense of peace. But those, that, satisf that satisfaction and that peace of mind only lasts for a little bit. Because a few hours later, we realize that, again, we're going to be hungry. A few days later, depending on the car that you drive, if it's Pastor Judah's car, it's a few hours later after you just fill up, you're back on empty. But we have to understand that the third indisputable fact of Christianity is Jesus fills. And this is found in John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to what? To the full. So Christ came to give us life and to have it to the full. Another translation or another version of the Bible says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Yeah. See, the word life and abundance mean much more than just material wealth and influence and prosperity. It's first about salvation, receiving eternal life through what Christ did for us on the cross then it's about living a life full of Christ that leads to a growing trust in God and knowledge about God. We also see that Jesus teaches in John chapter 4 what it means to be filled with him. This is found in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 4. It says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So when we eat a meal, we become hungry again. When we fill our gas tanks up, it's naturally going to go to empty over a course of that next week. What's being said now and in this scripture is that the things of this world cannot and will not satisfy long term. But when we drink from Christ's well, when we drink with Christ and we have a relationship with Christ, that is when and we know that he completely satisfies us. So from this day forward, let's make a decision to let, to let Christ fill our lives. So we've gone through three of the four indisputable facts of Christianity. Pastor Judah walked us through chapter 14, talking about the importance of not mistaking the minor disputable matters from those that are indisputable. And we've covered three indisputable facts that Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus fills, and finally, Jesus calls. See, Jesus called the disciples. And when he called the disciples, he simply said to them, what? Follow me. Come and follow me. And just as he called his disciples, he's calling you and I today to draw close to him. And when we respond to this calling, we discover our divine purpose. It's a purpose that allows and invites us to live a life that's free from sin, that's free from guilt, that's free from condemnation, that's free from shame. So today, as you saw in your seats, we have a communion set. If you want to take those out with me. As we're celebrating six years of ministry today, we also want to remember what Christ did for us on that cross. And we as a team and we as a staff in a volunteer group and as a church, we know that the Lord wants to use us over the next six years and beyond far than, further than what we could ever imagine. Are we grateful for six years? Absolutely. But it's also important for us to remember and take time to pause to celebrate communion. We take communion by first remembering the first communion. When Jesus called the disciples to eat with him just before he was going to be crucified. It's the Last Supper. And, and Jesus being fully man, I can only imagine what's going on in the mind of Jesus as he's sitting down with the disciples for the very last time, knowing what's about to come. And he leads them in communion and instructs them when, he, when they take the bread and the cup to do it in remembrance of him. And we've seen today that, yes, Jesus heals. He saves, he fills, and he calls. And as a believer, as Christians, we take communion and remember four things. First, the sacrifice that was made on our behalf so that we may have eternal life in heaven with the Lord. We remember that Jesus continues to heal today, heal our bodies, heal relationships, heal our situations, heal our past. 
we also remember that Christ fills our lives and that, be, and that because of that, we can be completely satisfied. And fourthly, we remember that Christ has called us to draw close with him. Would you stand with me? So as we prepare the elements, if you are a Christ follower and have accepted the Lord as your savior, I invite you to partake with us in communion right now. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for sending your son to live the life that he lives so that we may be able to be in relationship with you. Father, today we remember that the bread represents Christ's body broken to make us whole. Father, we remember that the cup of juice represents Christ, Christ's blood that was given as a payment for our sins. So Lord, as we partake in communion today, I pray that we reflect on you coming, living a perfect life, sacrificing yourself to die on a cross so that we may be in relationship with you and to also to look forward to your returning. So Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. As we prepare the bread, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and 24. And it reads, For I, re I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take, partake in the bread. We pick back up in verse 25 in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake in the cup. Let me pray to close us out today. Father, you are a good God. Man, we are so in awe and so grateful that you know every single one of our stories. You know our past. You know our mistakes. You know our shortcomings, yet you still came to die for every single one of us. So for that, we say thank you. And just a small token of our gratitude is by taking communion in remembrance of you. Thank you for allowing us to be in personal relationship with you. I pray that as we go about our lives and go about our day and our week ahead, that we would continue to put you at the center of every decision, 
that fear and worry and anxiety would take a backseat because you said in your word that you are more than a conqueror and we believe that today. And I just wanna take a moment with every head still bowed and every eye still closed to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And that is to make Jesus the Lord and savior of your life. Maybe you didn't participate in communion today because you never really understood what it is to have a personal relationship with Christ. I wanna give you that opportunity today. And I say give you the opportunity, but it's not me giving you the opportunity. It's simply responding to Jesus. It's saying yes to Jesus. It has nothing to do with me. Saying a prayer has nothing to do with me, but everything to do with the condition of your heart to say, I am going to turn from my ways. I'm going to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life and live for him from this day forward. So if that's you this morning, if you want me to include you in this very simple prayer to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, would you just simply raise your hand so I can include you in that prayer? You can raise them up and, and slip them right back down. I see that hand. I see those hands. Amen. And church, for the benefit of those that are praying this for the very first time, let's say this collectively by repeating after me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I know I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I choose today, from this day forward, to let my past be my past and stepping into a future with the center of you. Come into my life. Cleanse me. Make me whole. From this day forward, I choose life with you. In Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen. Church, come on, can we celebrate those? that gave their life to Christ. Hey, if that was you, if you raised your hand today, right outside these doors, we have an individual that would love to pray with you and to pray for you. And we also have communion elements out there for you, for you to participate in your very first communion as a Christian. So don't bypass that opportunity. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you, put some resources in your hand to help you along your journey with Christ. So right outside these doors in our, what we call our wide awake and fully alive area, we have communion elements. We have one of our leaders that are gonna lead you through communion and to pray with and to pray for you. Man, what an awesome decision that is. And we're so excited to, to walk alongside of you on this journey that we call life, life with Christ. Hey, as we go out and to have some fun today with our family day, a couple of quick reminders. We do have our Multiply 101 class. So if you're attending the Multiply 101 class, go ahead and meet Megan at the sound booth directly after service. It is 11.15 right now. At 11.35, we will invite everyone out to the baptismal pool. It's right in the middle of the little walkway where the kids get checked in outside. So we'll invite you out there at 11.35. We're gonna celebrate people going public with their faith, with baptisms today. So we're going to celebrate as a family. So make sure that you're there with us at 1135. Hey, we have 
free ice cream out there. So go ahead and grab an ice cream sandwich. There's a food truck out there as well. Here's my encouragement. We don't just get this stuff just to hang out. We do it to get to know one another. So my encouragement is play a game. Hang out, have an ice cream, have a bottle of water, but also get to know someone that you haven't met before. So as we continue to celebrate, let's go out and make sure that we're meeting someone new, having a great time, and we look forward to celebrating baptisms at 1135. And hey, we'll see you this, not the same time because we're back to the normal schedule next week at 9 o'clock and 1030 as we continue to love Jesus and change the world. Have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll see you out there at baptisms in 20 minutes.